0: On today's episode of Pursuing Profit with Principles, you'll meet Ian Baker from Derbyshire in the UK. Ian serves entrepreneurs and business owners providing profitable growth strategies. He's come through the corporate world into the entrepreneurial world. Today, he'll be sharing his journey from a corporate buyer to a salesperson to a consultant. If you've ever struggled with selling in your business, you want to listen to Ian. Welcome back to the Pursuing Profit with Principles podcast. I'm delighted to have you join me today and my special guest Ian Baker from Derbyshire in the UK. Ian serves entrepreneurs and business owners providing profitable growth strategies. I love it. Welcome Ian, so glad to have you here today.
1: Thank you very much for having me Regina. I really appreciate you inviting me along to your podcast. I'm very excited.
0: Excellent, it's delightful to have you here. Ian, we're going to dive right in so we can give folks what they came here for. Would you share a little bit with us about your background and what brought you to this place and doing what you're doing now?
1: Sure, no problem at all. Um, I come from a originally very much a corporate background. So I, I've spent, of the last 30 years, I've spent uh, nearly 20 of them or just over 20 of them in the corporate world um, working for... Um, the equivalent in the UK there would be FTSE 100 businesses, uh, so some of the biggest global businesses in the world, operating with brands that most of your listeners will have heard of, um, from companies like Wreckit Bankeza, Unilever, um, and for those of the audience that are in the healthcare industry, they'd probably recognise names like Cardinal Health, which is a fairly big North American healthcare distributor manufacturer. So I spent. A lot of years learning my craft um from everything from product development um so developing products with a speciality in packaging um through to getting into buying so actually buying services contract manufacturing and packaging and other materials and then moved from buying into into selling so became a a sales manager and, and started selling the brands that that i was working on to some of the biggest retailers in the world so people like walmart people like as watson in asia in the uk and europe companies like Carrefour and 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 tesco and and boots so um i've had a very a very interesting upbringing in my industry in my business world of 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 working with some great great people some people now who are at the top of the tree and some of these are Massive organization. So I'm, I've got a lovely network of, of, of C-suite um, directors and, and, and friends. So I've used all that experience and I, I then started to get into the small business world. And I ran for five years a medical devices business based in the UK with an office in Hong Kong. Um, we grew that business from uh, £300,000 roughly when I took it over. And when I left the business, it was it was just about to do its first two million pound year, so awesome. grew it exponentially in in sort of medical devices worlds um, through just hard work and and tenacity, but keeping a real focus on the bottom line as much as the top line, and that's where my passion came from from growing businesses. But maintaining profitability within that business because it's easy to spend to, to get growth, um, but sometimes you can lose sight of your cash and your bottom line. And it's just some of the tactics, some of the strategies that I've learned along the way um, in terms of delivering that profitable growth that I've now took into my consultancy. That I'm I've just entered my fifth year of running, so um, I'm now working with small businesses and entrepreneurs, people who are just on that first step. Uh, and taking them into you know whole new avenues of, of sales growth and, and commercial uh, growth, which you know is is really exciting for me because I love doing that and I love seeing the successes that that my my clients have.
0: What an exciting journey and there's so so much meat in there. there's so many things that I'd love to dive into in there. First of all, I think it's just wonderful that you had, that experience in the um buying of the products before the selling of the products. I think if more salespeople had more of that, they'd be more successful in their sales because you know it inside and out, right? You you were the uh, buyer. Yeah.
1: Very absolutely right. I, I think I really enjoyed being a buyer. And um I think it was the devil in me a little bit that <laughs> that liked to 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 enjoy the the cat and mouse games that you had with salespeople. But yeah. You know the the what what drove me to be to to become a salesperson is that actually I realised that salespeople were making more money than buyers. Than buyers. It's as yeah. simple it's <laughs> as simple as that. You know, you, if you look at a buyer, they're they're stressed, they're overworked, they they're they're seeing a thousand salespeople a day. Um, as a salesperson, you you just got to concentrate on maybe one or two buyers, so you can exactly. if you're good if you're good and you you prepare, you you should be able to win every single conversation with the buyer. And that's yeah. what surprises me when I got into my consultancy and into my other businesses is that salespeople weren't being successful. I'm thinking, well, why aren't you being successful? And it was because they were preparing little or less than the buyers that had a fraction of the time that salespeople had. So right. it was about educating salespeople and, and my clients that you've got the upper hand in every single conversation that you have is that you should know everything about your business, and actually, if you prepare well, you'll know as much about your your customer's business as they do. So that was my first yeah. sort of break into really the consultancy world is is just getting people to think more positively about sales,
0: right? And and that's a big one, and especially for um, a lot of folks, who, you know, who are the the entrepreneur, the business owner, sales is not something that comes naturally to them. Uh, as a general rule, and yet, we have to sell
1: <laughs> every day. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that's so true. And and but the the best salespeople are the people who have invented the products. Yeah. the the, the issue The issue that entrepreneurs face into is that there's there's a reputation that goes along with sales. That, you know, you need to have this kind of attitude and this swagger and you know, people have watched the Wolf of Wall Street and and expect this particular way of acting and, and behaving right. in order to deliver sales. But you know, if you're passionate and you you have a good product, sales is about helping the buyer to buy and not about asking them to become salespeople. And that's yeah. that's the really important distinction that I follow, and I have a strategy that I teach my clients on on how to to help the buyers buy, and I, I love that. that's what I really enjoy.
0: I love that help the buyers buy, and and that's it's so critical. And it, it's clear that all of your experiences have led you beautifully to this consultancy journal journey. That you know you're the you're the full deal, the the real package here of. Of skill sets and knowledge to be able to help your clients dramatically improve their businesses.
1: Yeah, certainly. And I think when I started my consultancy, you know, four years ago is that I had a, a particular idea of how, it want, how I wanted it to go. It was to be, you know, parachuted in to be some sort of business saviour and and, you know, guru about how to fix things and how to solve things. And To a degree, some of that happened, but I realised as the journey has gone along for me is that um, I've I've done a lot more coaching, Mm -hmm. so which is very different to consultancy. Yeah, and I do mentoring, which again is different from coaching. So, in my journey, what I've learned is that some people just ask for different things from you, and it's important to make the distinction. So, you know, to be able to distinguish between what you're asking for, whether it's consultancy, mentoring, or coaching. I've tried to make that journey easy for my clients now so that they understand what they're buying into with me and what it is that they think they need. And we we have a, an interesting conversation at the beginning, which is about what they need rather than what it is that I can – I particularly offer or what skills I might have. Excellent. Excellent. Would
0: you – Spend a few moments and talk about, because you're as passionate about this piece as I am. I've, I've gathered from the conversation, little <laughs> conversation we've had so far, but the difference between pursuing revenue and pursuing profit. We hear everybody talk about six figures, seven figures that, you know, in, in revenue. And as you and I know, if you don't have strategies for increasing your profit, you can just keep escalating the revenue and go out of business, <laughs> Right,
1: yeah. Can you true. talk
0: about that a little bit about revenue versus profit, and and why you focus on the profit side?
1: Well, I I have a saying which I I don't think I can take ownership for, but but sales is is vanity and profit is sanity. So, you know, you're quite right. People talk about you know I I run a seven figure business. I run a ten figure business. You know, yes, you can run a a hugely you know a hugely sized business on sales turnover but you know if you're not controlling your cost of goods if you're not controlling your overheads if you're not managing the cash that you're getting in from your sales then as you quite rightly point out you very quickly realize that you can run out of money because if your huge sales number if they're deciding that they're not going to pay you for 30 or 60 or 90 days, yet you're paying out on 30 days or 60 day terms, suddenly you realize that actually I've got a lot less cash in my bank than I should have. So I I get my clients to focus very much on their cost of goods and control mm-hmm. of their cost of goods. Uh, and, you know, not every business has cost of goods. If you're running a service business, mm. then, Sure. you're predominantly overheads. But you know, I, I work closely coming as a buyer, I know how to control cost of goods um and how to buy effectively. I talk to them about how their overheads are working for them in terms of their staff and their people and what they're paying themselves. And you mm-hmm. know, entrepreneurs have to realise that in most businesses, you're probably gonna go at least 12 months without paying yourself for salary. When you first start out, because it's all longer, it's all (laughs) or longer, you know, it depends on how successful you are. But, um, you know, balancing all those things is really important and avoiding the bright lights. And I say that is that I worked with a client about two years ago who had an amazing product, developed a a product for the over 50s, a vitamins range. And Mm. he was a genius inventor but he got his product listed in a retailer in the UK. And in the end, he spent £40,000 on promoting his product within the retailer, and then mm. they only ordered £50,000 worth of product. And oh when he looked at it, he realised that his bank was showing a, a big negative number, and he'd, he'd been dazzled by the bright lights of, of this customer saying, well, I can do this for you, can do that right. for you. In, in the years I ran my medical devices business, I spent uh, less than than 5% of my turnover on on promotion, um, where typically the average is 12.5%, but I was still growing my business, you know, big double digits year on year. And it was just about being smart. And that's what I try and teach at the early stages, is if you think smart about how you can promote your products and how you can work with your your buyers and your customers, then you can hopefully save some money for your, your net profit column.
0: Right. Do you uh, spend a good deal of time educating the entrepreneurs or the business owners about their numbers? Uh, You know, you've been referencing cost of goods sold and gross profit and all of that. Do you, do you spend some time early on really helping them understand all of that? Because one of the things that we find, over here at least in the States is that there's a, a lot of business owners who don't know their numbers, don't understand those things, don't understand the relationships between some of those things and how to generate more to that bottom line.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm not an accountant, you know, I, I I'm neither. trained as an accountant. <laughs> I'm, you know, it, it, I, I enjoy a good spreadsheet, but, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wired in that, in that respect. Right. But I, I think it's, if you can't do the simple math that, that tells you that, you know, sales price, less cost of goods is gross profit, less overheads and other, you know, taxes and things like that becomes a net profit. Right. If you don't understand those basic principles, then I, I think, there is a fundamental issue. And, you know, in the US and in Canada, I think you have a a program called Shark Tank. In the UK, we have, it's called Dragon's Den. And, you know, I'm sure it's exactly the same where, you know, people present their products. They're very excited about this wonderful new idea. And then one of the sharks or one of the dragons asks the question, so what's your profit for the next year? What's your profit projection? And they just start shaking and quivering because they don't have the numbers and it's yes that's television but it, there is a reality really? where where yeah. people just don't have those numbers to hand and i just think that's a massive failing because if you want to grow if you want to scale you have to understand your numbers so to answer your question regina yeah the first thing i do is is say what's your sales price what's your cost of goods what's your overheads look like let's get a a basic P&L pulled together so that we can at least right. understand where you're at. And so you
0: actually help with that, as do we. You, you help them pull that P&L together from those numbers and, and help yeah. them because they may never have had one. Yeah,
1: and, correct. And, yeah. you know, if they're wanting investors or investment, then, yeah. my God, that's an absolute fundamental.
0: Absolutely. And if they want to survive, it's a fundamental. They yeah. Want their business to survive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, explaining people, about payment terms. I mean some people don't understand payment terms is that you know just because you sold something unless you're a B2C business where you're actually right. you know a consumer is handing over money before right. you send the goods. Right. As a B2B business, it's amazing how many don't understand that you might have to wait 60 or 90 days before you get paid for something that you shipped. And right. that's that's you know I deal a lot with B2B rather than B2C businesses, so for me okay. it is It's even more important in terms of knowing your numbers.
0: You know, I had a uh, staffing firm for about 12 and a half years here in the States. And staffing is one of those things where your invoices are out there a lot of times, like 90 days. But you've had to make payroll off off of those invoices and pay all those people that were employed. So we kind of quickly discovered uh factoring services and and utilize those is that something your clients utilize and that they understand or do you recommend that or not recommend that and 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 maybe talk about if you could just enlighten folks in the audience a little bit about what factoring is
1: well, i every every case is, is different and and some will benefit from factoring and and for those that don't understand factoring it's it's asking a bank or a financial institution to cover the cost of your invoice and pay you the value of that invoice less their fees before the invoice is due so then it becomes the institution or the bank's responsibility to then get that money from the from the the, the person that you've originally invoiced so you know it can work quite nicely especially if you if you think that perhaps the person that you've invoiced may not be able to pay so in some respects you shouldn't get into that relationship anyway but if you True. feel as though that it could go that way then factoring could help you um but factoring is just a great way of of just keeping cash in your bank for the sake of maybe three or four percentage points which right you know if you've got a, a profitable product then actually you could probably afford those those few margin points and if that keeps you in cash, and it means you can keep reinvesting in growth. Then factoring is a great strategy um, if your margins are very tight, especially if you're in electronics or things like that, where margins can be quite tight. Factoring could be a bit more of a, a, a difficult one, but you mm-hmm. know, banks at the moment they're being a bit difficult. But you should always consider factoring if if you've got the profit margin to to cope with it and. Um, better the cash in your bank than in somebody else's.
0: Absolutely. And and uh, I I found that the larger the client is that you're working with, sometimes the slower that invoice is paid.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also the size of the people that you're selling to as well. Will, yeah will have a huge fact, Im- implication on that. You know, exactly. there's, there's companies in the UK. I, I don't know about Walmart's payment terms. I can't remember them, but. Uh, boots which is in the uk which is part of walgreens they're 90 days or even 120 days so you know it can be it can be be a painful wait.
0: it can be and we found it was a lifesaver for us Uh, it it just absolutely made the difference in our operations being able to factor that out
1: yeah Um, definitely
0: yeah it was it was good um let's see i love that you talked about that bright light too. and not getting caught up in
1: that. And um. Yeah, that bright light thing, it's, it's the magpie effect, as we call it in the UK, Uh-oh, is that, okay. you know, people get attracted to shiny things and think that those shiny things are going to bring them, you know, huge exponential growth and huge awards and huge things that are going to propel their business forward. And there's lots of people on the internet that are promising shiny things, you know, 10 times your business, five times your business. If you just sign up and, and, you know, go on our course for, for 10 days. And, you know, a lot of those courses have some great value in them, but don't go into them. If you're expecting, it's like a gambler. Who's, who's always trying to catch Mm -hmm. up with the last bet that failed is that if that's the position you're in, if you can't afford to gamble on those courses, then don't gamble on mm-hmm. them. Just focus on the hard work that you can deliver yourself and, and, and and take it forward that way by all means, use the techniques that these guys use. But if you can't afford the $10,000 that, that they're offering to, to 10 times your business, don't, don't bankrupt oh, yeah. yourself because it, it, you know, it, it is a, it can be a route to, to nothing, unfortunately. Yeah. So that's what I meant by the bright lights is that you can get sucked into doing things that Absolutely. you think are going to – there's no fast track. There's no shortcuts yeah. to, to, <laughs> to, to being successful. You know, it can take you five years to be an overnight success.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, You know, and we deal with that. We call it a, here shiny object syndrome. Quite a bit and one of the things i found and tell me if you find this to be true as well is that i as i'm working with a client and we create that roadmap for where they're going and they get that clarity and get rid of that overwhelm that it actually creates the filters that eliminate the shiny object syndrome because they know exactly where they're going and what they've got to do so as these things are coming at them, I kind of see it as like, oh, no, don't need that. Throw that one away. Don't need that. Yeah, this one I can use. This one will take me where I need to. You know, It will help me get down the road further. And I yeah. found that to be just a huge filtering device for them as they understand where they're going and how to get there. Do you find
1: that to be true? I, I, again, I couldn't agree more. We, I work with every single client and we we put the goal and the vision for the business in place we develop the strategies that are going to help him deliver that that goal and vision. And then we place the particular and very specific tactics, measurable tactics under each strategy that's going to help them to get to that. And then from that, we we use that to, to write their business plan. And I don't know whether it's the same in the US, but in the UK, is that business owners feel as though they have to write a business plan. I must write a business plan. I've got to write a business plan. So they download a template off the internet right. and they start filling it in under all these headings. Right. And they start writing what they think needs to go under each heading. Right. And they send me their business plan. I go, what do you think? I've written this. And I go, well, who have you written it for? Well, you. I, said, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I care about your business, but you know, the business plan has to be written by you for you so that if it's, it's your instruction manual on how you're going to run your business, like you know, it, it's like opening a, 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 a big box of uh, flat pack furniture and, and, and looking at the picture and going, right, I'm going to build it. Just yeah. looking at the picture, right? No, you, you've got to write the instructions first in order to, 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 So you know how to get to that picture. And I make it really, it doesn't have to be millions of pages. It just has to be a very clear set of instructions so that if ever you have that wobble, if ever you have that element of doubt, you look at your business plan and go, does my business plan allow me to divert into that? Does it fit with my strategies and my goals? If it does, then let's have a look at it. If I can afford to, if it doesn't, then dismiss and move on. I so, yeah you know, the the business planning is 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 really important, and and that is fed by the numbers. It's fed by the goal, and it's fed by, you know, the market.
0: Right, excellent. I, yeah, I love that. Tell me, Ian, what drives you? What What is it that keeps you getting up and doing this every day?
1: Uh, well, it would be remiss of me to 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 not say that it's you you when you when you move away from a salaried position you know and as you know as a, a CEO of a business you know you you get the paycheck at the end of each month and you 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 you're quite comfortable and everything's good and and happy in the world and you right. you take that plunge to going from salary to nothing and right. for me the reason I I get up in the morning is is because I want to achieve a particular set of goals for myself. So uh, I wouldn't be here saying, telling people to write business plans and write strategies if I didn't have them for myself. Right. So, you know, I've got a set of goals where I want to be, you know, self-sufficient from a, a retirement point of view and, and, and be able to put my feet up at the age of 60 and, and enjoy the golf course and things like that. So that I get up in the morning with a vision in my head where I've got a house in Florida next to a golf course. And then the garage is, is my soft top with my golf clubs and my wife's golf clubs on the back seat. And every morning we can just feel as though we can get in that car, drive around, jump in a buggy and go and play 18 holes and then have a great beer afterwards. That's what gets me up in the morning. And so that's my own personal drive Because I want to be able to afford to do that. And the second drive is seeing success in my clients. And whether that's coaching clients, mentoring clients, or I'm doing consultancy work, is knowing that they've achieved what they wanted to achieve from their plans and their goals. And I've helped them along that way, then that gives me satisfaction. Um, Absolutely. I, I wrote a quote. The other day, um, is that coaching and mentoring is a privilege, and we should not take their successes as our own. Right. We, you know, it's it's important that they're responsible for their successes and they acknowledge that if we've been Absolutely. a part of that, then great. We celebrate that internally, right? And we shouldn't be using their successes necessarily the the huge vehicle or marketing machine in order to get our next client um i i have a, a very deep passion that i don't want to to promote my client's successes as my own because they've put all the hard work in i've yeah, just i've just true. pointed them in the right direction
0: i love that and very humble one of the things i heard you say there not in these terms but what I heard you say is that you have an exit strategy for your business.
1: Yes. Yeah, I do. And that's, that's a really important part of it is is. that my exit strategy is to potentially be able to sell my, my own ways of doing things, my own documents, my own, you know, what's in my head. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to get it down into a process and a, and formalise it in a way that people can can take it and use it without it having to be 100 percent me. Um, and I'm on that road to doing that. You know, you're you never quite perfect it, but um, I feel as though as I'm going along my journey and as I enter my fifth year, is that I feel as though I now know more about how I do things and how I can do things more autonomously mm-hmm. than. I've ever done them before so you know if if in another five years time I've got you know books and courses and things like that that people can undertake which will get similar or same results as spending personal one-to-one time with me then that for me creates a business that I can then package up and sell to somebody else Mm -hmm. Um, if your business is only ever about you um, then you have to make enough money to be able to put a pension pot together, so that you can close the business down and and retire on that money. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two strategies at the end of it, and you know, hopefully, I can go to the one where it becomes more passive than it it does active.
0: Right, very good. And I'm sure that that's something you talk to your clients about is those exit strategies. I don't know how it is over there, but here in the states, the um, the business brokers. Turn away ninety five percent of the calls that they get. They can't help the people at all because they haven't built a business with an exit strategy in mind. They haven't built a business that they can sell. They have no asset to sell.
1: Mm. It's it, your yeah. The it's it's no different over here. And and I say to my clients um, when I first meet them is is what's your exit strategy? And and some of them will will tilt their head like a confused Labrador and just go, you know, I, I don't quite know what you mean. <laughs> um, and some of them will go, well, I in five years' time, I want to have built a business of this value and I want to be able to sell it to that person and I want to try and achieve that sort of value. And those are the people that typically are the successful ones. Yeah. The ones that don't have a, an exit strategy what they're developing for themselves is effect- effectively a lifestyle business. Is that they they built something that they just want to earn out of and 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 take from and and they'll just keep going until they run out of energy or their business folds. Right. Um, and I do try and encourage all my clients to to have an exit strategy, whether it is to actually say, in ten years' time, I've had enough and I close it, close the doors, and that's that. That's an exit strategy. So right. therefore, you know that in the next 10 years, you've got to earn enough cash to to be able to do what you want to do. But if you want right. to exit your business through a sale, then you've got, as you quite rightly say, you've got to create enough assets that have enough perceived value that somebody wants to come and bite your arm off for. <laughs> so so there, there's, there's only two endpoints, really, for me, is that there's – There's the the kind of the lifestyle strategy or the, 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 the sell for the exit for sale strategy.
0: Understood. Yeah. Very good. I mean, there
1: is the, you could actually float or, or or put them on the stock market, but I still see that as a sale because you're selling to shareholders. Right. So there's still a sale point at the end of it. Right. And you still have to have assets.
0: Yes. And I would think that one would be probably the toughest one. (laughs)
1: That. yeah but for clients that want that end point then actually the planning that goes into the exit strategy is even more intense because yeah. you you need to start at the very beginning with an ipo in mind right. um, because you need to have the board and the governance and all the other things that that you need to have for a, a good uh business strategy Right. in order to get it to that that floating stage so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a fascinating uh, it, working in this this industry and, and doing what we do it's just it's every day is different and I think that's probably the third thing that makes me get up in the morning is that I know that today is going to deliver something different
0: yes indeed Well, we've come to the part of the podcast, Ian, where I get to ask my three questions of you that I told you we would be asking. And I'm excited (laughs) to hear your answers. So, we ask this of all of our guests uh, to give them, to give our guests, I mean, to give our listeners more perspective, give them a Mm -hmm. variety of perspectives. So, my first question for you is, can you tell us about a leadership principle that has served you well in your personal and business life?
1: I'm, I'm the sort of leader uh, that, um, that ensures that my team know exactly what the goals are and that they have the autonomy mm-hmm. and the tools in order to deliver those goals my role is to facilitate their success in that goal achievement my role is not to drag them along kicking and screaming towards that goal what actually they should be doing is dragging me along to that goal (laughs) and making sure that i am supporting them with the autonomy and with the tools and if they if they are lacking in any of those areas that they they feel comfortable that they can communicate that with me. So I've always had a very open dialogue with my the people that I've managed. And I've always allowed them the, the autonomy to to make decisions
0: mm-hmm. within
1: the scope of what it is that they're trying to achieve. You know, I had an old boss that said to me, he said, I would much rather you you fell on your face eight out of ten times than fell on your ass four out of ten times. And what he meant by that is that I'd rather you were you were pushing right. to make good decisions eight times out of ten and maybe you didn't get eight of them right but the two that you did get right you smashed right rather than just being this conservative you know I don't know yeah. whether I'm going to do that and then eventually you don't make any decision and you just right. fall backwards so so for me it's it's providing the tools and the the, the processes and the autonomy and the openness in order for people who work in my teams to be able to make the decisions that, that they think are going to achieve the goal in its best way.
0: I think that's beautiful. Uh, I think that so many times leaders give responsibility, but not authority and autonomy to achieve it. And so uh, you and I practice similar uh, leadership style in that. I, th- I think that's beautifully said. The next question is, and we've talked about your passion for what you're doing. The next question is, how has following your or pursuing your purpose and your passion impacted the success of your business?
1: Um, I think it's had a positive effect in some respects that I'm getting to, to do what I want to do outside of work. Um, you know, as, as my business has grown, it's allowed me a few more freedoms to, to do what I want to pursue um the the thing is with you know i'm not i struggle sometimes with focus and i'm i'm going to you know put this on the table now is that you know i talked earlier about the magpie effect or the shiny object syndrome right is that when you're a consultant when you start your first business is that you can get sucked into that quite easily without you knowing and yeah i've made some really poor business decisions in the last 4 years while I'm teaching other people, (laughs) while while I'm teaching other people to make good business decisions. Uh (laughs) You know, I have failed to practice what I preach and I'm quite open about that. And I'm, I'm comfortable saying it, that I have made mistakes in the last four or five years that, you know, has cost me money, has cost me, you know, reputation, but I don't regret making those decisions. I've just decided that I'm going to learn from them and, and and pass those learnings on to the people that that I work with now and you know that's that's for me is the, the the beauty of of what it is that we we do as entrepreneurs and business owners is that we get to pursue what we want to and if we're successful we get to do what we want to. Yeah, you know, I think there's a quote some, somewhere along the lines of, you know, as entrepreneurs, we do all the things that people don't want to do to go on to live the life that people can't afford to do. Mm. Yeah, And I'm not driven by money. Neither se. am I. I'm just, I'm just driven <laughs> by the the want to have a nice life and, and, and just enjoy some of the passions that I have, like my family and, and sport and, and things like right. that. Yeah, I,
0: I I can totally relate to that. I'm not driven by money either. What drives me is being a part of the success of that ripple effect when when my clients are successful and that they, they're impacting the world in a in a bigger way, and that just ripples on out. That's what that's where my passion yeah. lies. Absolutely. Did that
1: answer the question, Richie? It did. Sure.
0: Good job. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Third and final question. What is one profit strategy that you've used in your business? That has ah, this is love? a really
1: good one. Oh, and good. we've not really talked we've not really <laughs> talked about it, but one thing that I'm quite passionate about is um, strategic partnerships or joint ventures. And yeah, I really encourage my clients and I do this myself as well is that you know, being able to utilize other people's Lists using other people's you know expertises, using other people's products and and brokering and and bringing together people that have complementary products skills, services, lists. if you can if you can get that right, if you can find something within your business that you can offer somebody that has huge value to them, which costs you nothing to give, you can charge for that and you can make money from that. So if right. you've got a mailing list of 50,000 or 60,000 people that are active and, and you don't use it fully, then you can sell the balance of that. You know, If you're a lead generation business and you're generating 10,000 leads and only 2,000 of those get used, then what are you doing with the other 8,000? Why aren't you doing something with those other eight thousand? Is there somebody that would pay good money for your other eight thousand? So, you right. know, my what I do when I talk to businesses is is go, what have you got that could add value to somebody else, that could add profit to your business without it costing you anything to deliver? So, that for me is a is 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 an interesting profit strategy that that most people don't ever think about or 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 activate with any great conviction
0: true and and i love joint ventures and affiliate relationships and uh, i think one of the best um descriptions that i've heard of that um i don't know if you're familiar with jay fazet out of canada or not uh, yeah they, i know jay yeah yeah he has the j biology program and jay talks about upstream and downstream. And it's such a, a beautiful metaphor for those joint venture relationships, that you're standing in the middle of the river and coming from upstream are the people who, um, you know, they're people that are sending you clients would be those who serve them before they have a need for your services. So they serve them. They send them on to you. That river flows down. You you capture those. You work with them, and then you send them downstream to somebody else who needs them after your services. And I just I um I just love that analogy of standing in the river and the upstream and the downstream.
1: Yeah, it's 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 such a powerful opportunity that people absolutely don't, don't really. Some people do it without knowing they're doing it. But, you know, when you actually acknowledge and, and tell people about the process and they go, wow, I work with a guy called Sahil Khan, who, who, again, he's in that joint venture expert world. And and I, I do a lot of work with him. I, I'm one of his um, pupils and we spent a lot of time together. And, yeah, I've learned a lot from him and I, I pass that down into my clients wherever
0: Excellent. possible. It's, it's an opportunity for exponential growth. Mm. it truly really is
1: it certainly is more so than maybe spending ten thousand dollars on a on a on a course that you you don't see the content of until you've parted with your cash
0: or a facebook ad
1: <laughs> i wouldn't comment on social media because you know i'm of an age where I, I, it's kind of passing me by i, I use it as best <laughs> i can
0: this has been wonderful ian i have so enjoyed our time together uh, I, I've
1: enjoyed it too. Thank you. It's been, it's been brilliant. And you've, you've you challenged me and got me thinking and I love that.
0: Good. And I understand that you have something you'd like to share with our listeners, uh, an opportunity for them to, to take advantage of an offer. Would you share that with us?
1: Yeah, sure. If, if your, your listeners want to go to my website, which is Ian Baker Consultancy.co.uk. On there, there's a a document that I've I've created called 10 Amazing uh, Steps to to Getting the Most Out of um, External Help, so External Help Being Consultants. So I help people understand the difference between mentoring, consultancy, coaching. And in that document, I also give 10 tips so that you can get the most out of people like me and, and you, Regina, so that they're not getting fleeced they're getting the most out of it and they get best value because for me offering and ensuring that my clients get value is really important and if i can teach that to entrepreneurs then you know it doesn't have to be me that they employ but as long as they're employing people for the right reasons on the right and using these tactics then then that's good enough for me so they can download that for free off my website and and they're more than welcome to it
0: well, that's wonderful. Thank you. And we'll put that link in the show notes, folks, so that you can go right there and, and pick that up. That's, that's a, a wonderful offer because it is so important to understand who you need in your life and your business to, to help you out, what, what level of service that is that you need, whether that's a consultant or it's a coach or it's a mentor, or whatever that may be. Excellent. Again, thank you, Ian. I have so enjoyed having you here today. It's been a pleasure to know you better.
1: I've enjoyed it every minute and uh, good luck to your listeners and I hope they are all extremely successful.
0: Thank you. And uh, folks, we thank you for joining us again today on Pursuing Profit with Principles and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening today. As you can see, all entrepreneurs experience challenges in business. It's my experience, however, that with every challenge we solve, we create a new challenge. So let me ask you, what's the biggest challenge in your business? Are you generating the profit that you desire? Do you know what systems you need in order to create more efficiency and profit in your business? Are you tired of working 60 plus hours a week and not seeing the returns or seeing your family? Are your relationships suffering because of this and the stress that you're experiencing? If this is you, I'd like to invite you to consider applying to participate in my mastermind program. This mastermind is for entrepreneurs who are already making $500,000 or more in revenue, but are missing out on sufficient profit and time to live life on their own terms. As a result, their relationships are also suffering. They're looking for a more integrated lifestyle as defined by Dave Rule in Done by Noon, knowing that work and life will never be balanced 50-50. As entrepreneurs, we know there will always be overlaps, but we can look at it from a holistic, more well-rounded approach to work and life. So this mastermind is not for you if you're too busy or broke to invest in leverage for your business, or if you want to figure it out on your own again, And you're not committed to reclaiming the most important relationships in your life. It is for you if you're done reinventing the wheel and doing it the hard way. You understand that speed and ease equals income, and you want to increase the speed of your income and profit. And you want to add leverage into your business and be able to cultivate, strengthen, and renew great relationships in your life if that's you, then go to my calendar link and schedule a call to discuss whether or not you're a good fit for this mastermind. That link is bit.ly slash mastermind qualifying. That's bit.ly slash mastermind qualifying. And I look forward to seeing you on the call. On my next episode of Pursuing Profit with Principles, you'll meet Extus Justin, a coach for coaches and consultants. Extus shares his story of entrepreneurial journey with its many ups and downs, more downs than ups in the beginning, and of his perseverance through it all. He's a great champion for getting people to be relentless about their own success.